Miracy. I'm Anke Herman, and you're listening to Making It. I run a business called Taming the Tech Monster, and I help coaches grow their business beyond one-to-one without tech headaches. I grew up in East Germany, behind the wall, so to say. Most people can't really imagine what that means. But for me, what it meant was the feeling of growing up sitting in a cage, you know, like those cages for parrots. They are too small to really spread your wings, but they're, the, the bars are far, far enough apart so you can see what's out there. You can really see what you're missing. And um, so there was always that sensation that I had bad luck with where I happened to be born because I was deprived of all these opportunities. So there was definitely the urge to do more with what I have and to try and achieve more or seek out opportunities. I grew up with my grandparents for the first three years because my parents were really pretty young. So my dad wasn't even 22 yet, so he was still at uni. What happened with my grandparents, you know, they probably had a pretty tough time as well to have raised me for three years and then all of a sudden have me kind of like ripped away because my parents and my grandparents, we didn't live in the same city. So it was an hour drive in between, but, you know, that was sort of an hour like today where you think it's just a nip around the corner. It was a weekend trip and things like that. So my parents didn't particularly get on well with my grandparents. So the relationship got sort of, you know, more and more tense over the years, which impacted how often I was allowed to go and see the grandparents, which in the end I wasn't allowed to do at all. Initially, I was allowed to go during the holidays, but then it was always like a little bit less and a little bit shorter. And when I was 13, my dad decided to no longer have any contact with his parents. So then I wasn't allowed at all. And that was a time when nobody had telephones. When I was older, I then kind of I went to see them without my parents knowing. So I kind of managed to via a friend then to find a way to write my grandma. And we sort of, you know, had exchanged letters and stuff, but it was always sort of behind the back. And then you feel half guilty and it was always a little bit tense and awkward. But yeah, basically I didn't. The moment I had enough freedom basically to do stuff like that behind my parents' back, I did. What was there right from the beginning was the urge to learn, the urge to make things, the urge to take an idea and bring it to life, like create something with it that usually took the shape of, you know, knitting and sewing and fiddling around with fabrics or wires or, you know, anything, Lego, anything sort of building things. You know, that whole idea of creating something, the process of creation and the learning that comes with it, like that was there right from the beginning. I had no idea which shape it would take. And it took me a long time to find out. I was one of those multi-passionate people. I love languages. I loved maths. I loved sports. I loved biology. I loved like, you know, I loved a lot of things and I never really, I always thought, why can't I just be good at one thing sort of thing? And that took a long time for me to see that I actually really cultivated mastery in just one thing. And it was the creation, the process of how an idea is brought to life, how you create and innovate and make something happen. And it just took different shapes over the years. But that came pretty late in life, that's for sure. 
in the early 80s, the whole situation started to loosen up a little bit in a sense that, well, you still couldn't go and just jump over the, the wall. You'd still get shot down. But people would go to Hungary and find a way to escape by Austria. And, you know, there were more and more little loopholes where you could get out. And so there was that sense, hey, there might be a possibility. So being born in East Germany and living in that tiny little country with a passport that kind of means nothing, with money that's not worth anything anywhere, there was a sense like there might be a way out. So the moment I could really see a possibility, yeah, I went for it. I applied to the authorities to say, hey, I want to leave the country. And then what happened was what everybody knew was going to happen. I was being told that, well, that's not a thing. Like there is no legal basis for you to want out of this country. But, uh, you know, soon enough, you're no longer welcome at university. You have trouble to find any kind of job. And then you just sit there and wait. And there was literally one of those yeah, it was a one-way ticket. So I, in the moment I handed in that piece of paper, I knew I had no future in the country, but I also didn't know if and when I ever got out. And it took two years, which was lucky. You know, there were lots of people who took a lot longer that I got the letter to say, okay, you're out, your train goes on the, I don't remember the date, but you know, sometime in February in 1989, you're on this train before you can go. You need signatures from all these different people to confirm that you don't owe them anything, that they're okay with you leaving. And you can take whatever you can carry and off you go. So that was a one-way ticket. That was a one-way ticket, knowing that I wouldn't be able to come back, knowing that other than perhaps my grandparents, because they were retired and retired people were allowed to travel because they were quietly hoping they wouldn't come back. Every time people go and say, oh, I, you moved here and you did this and you did that. I was always thinking, yeah, what's the big deal? Because in my mind, I always compare any step I'm about to take. I compare it against that one-way ticket exit. So it was always, well, it's not a one-way ticket. What's the big deal? Right? And that allowed me to do things that other people think are difficult. The point where I knew that I made it in my business was when I noticed that I start off the week, I go to work, and I feel that no part of me has to stay outside. Because I've always had, I worked in a software industry. Well, my creative streak didn't really come into that. I had my sewing business that was full on creative, but I couldn't be a teacher and the technical skills weren't in demand. So there was always every other work I've done was always focusing on one part of me. And when I saw that what I've got now, I can bring everything to the table, absolutely everything, and really help people on more than one, not just where the button goes or how to, you know, do something in a, in a platform, but, you know, really help bring all of me, all my experience all my talents, all my skills, all the things I love doing, and I get to live the way I want. I no longer have clients dictate where I have to be when, which was really heavy in the sewing business. You know, I get to control what I offer, who I work with, how I work. It's that autonomy and that sensation of fulfillment on all levels. That's really where it's like, yeah, that's it. That's what I wanted. And it's probably way more than I ever imagined possible making it what it means to me is satisfaction, is fulfillment, is creativity, is being able to live 
the way I want to live in any given moment and also be able to change and to evolve and not be stuck in a box and take time out when I want to take time. I've got my parents here right now to visit and I actually can spend time with them because I can organize my schedule around what I want to do. And it feels like I'm at the helm of the ship of my life and no other work has ever offered that where I get to decide which direction I head in. I take the responsibility if it goes wrong and I'm perfectly fine and happy to do that. But I also get to enjoy the food when things go right and really enjoy that wild ride. I'm Anke Herman and you've been listening to Making It. You can find me at tamingthetechmonster.com. Making It is part of the Mira CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Course Lab and Once Upon a Business. This episode of Making It was produced by Danny Bermont and Jeff Govertson. Cynthia Lamb is supervising producer. Danny Eney, that's me, is executive producer. Post-production by Post Office Sound. To catch the great episodes that are coming up on Making It, please give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.